Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Even the Score podcast, a podcast about soundtracks and scores for movies, TV shows, and video games. I am, of course, your host, Don, and I'm here, as always, with my two co-hosts, Anthony and Jason. Hello to you both. Oh, hey, hey what's going on? Well, we are now two-thirds of the way through our summer masterclass series in which each of us select a specific topic and conduct a deep dive. Jason's deep dive on anime and his love of the genre was an amazing episode, and you should definitely go back and listen to that, because today is an extension of that conversation. So we're going to do the same thing we did with Anthony's masterclass on horror and talk as a group about some specific anime that we all really enjoy. So we're going to kind of extend the conversation from Jason's masterclass into today's episode. Jason tasked us with watching Cowboy Bebop last time, and this episode we've actually gone through and finished the entire series, so we're going to go into a deeper dive there. I'm bringing an episode of Death Note animated TV series to the conversation, and Anthony is taking us all the way back to the 1990s with a look at Sailor Moon's pilot episode. So this is shaping up to be a really fun record. But before we get into our main topic, we'll of course talk about what's been catching our ears lately in our recurring segment, What You're Listening To. I am going to kick us off this week because I haven't been listening to much outside of the music that we've been asked to listen to for this record, as well as the music for my very own Masterclass episode, which is going to be uh, our next record, uh, so be on the lookout for that. But there has been two things that my wife and I have been listening to recently, and that is the NPR Tiny Desk Concerts. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's such a great series. Yeah, agreed. I really enjoy those. Mm-hmm. There were definitely two that jumped out. One was from Hobo Johnson and the Lovemakers. Huh? Okay. Not a, not familiar with them. But yeah, okay. me neither, but they get points for the name, though. And I'm sure that we could do this for forever Or until we drink our poison Cause we see some cloudy weather As Rosaline lies in bed Seething wide awake Because a burning love for Juliet Only took a day And if Romeo and Juliet Continue to be married Then there's half Hobo Johnson, he's this amazing vocalist He's almost like a slam poet Who has this kind of backing group Who plays this kind of really smooth hip-hop tune to it And the feeling that you get when you're listening to him him is i would have to say awkward there's anxiety there's a lot of raw emotion it's this young guy who's just kind of really frustrated with the world and he puts it into the music and it's unbelievable the environment that he builds and he does it with such kind of a joy and a playfulness to it while still having that raw emotion really on the surface of his vocals, basically. So it was really great to get into something that's completely different from what we would be listening to here or what I would t- typically be listening to like on my iPhone or or in the car via CD. Like it's just completely out there in left field for me and we really had a good time with it. But I definitely do recommend people looking up Hobo Johnson and the Lovemakers and listening to that Tiny Desk concert. The other Tiny Desk that I was listening to was the John Batiste Tiny Desk concert, mm, which okay. of course I didn't make the connection, but he is the co-composer along with Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross for Soul. So he is Oscar winner now. And of course, this amazing jazz R&B singer, of course, the piano is unbelievable because that's what we kind of made the connection with with Soul. But his music in the Tiny Desk, and then we kind of got into a, a rabbit hole with watching some of his music videos, just so unbelievably positive and fun and just really unbelievably um, cool and comfortable with what he's doing and the music that he's putting out there. And we had a really good time just kind of doing a bit of a deep dive into his work. I'm packing all my sneakers. I never had a car. Before you drive off, boy, better know who you are. 
My wife was actually the one who made the connection that, oh, that's the guy who worked on Soul. I didn't even realize. I mean, it, I should have seen it when we were watching the Tiny Desk because he kind of spins around and there's this upright piano with kind of the front removed and he's just going to town. Like, it's unbelievable. His fingers are just flying around there. And then once my wife kind of connected it to Soul, it's like, of course, he did the piano for that and did all the jazz compositions. So completely worthy of the Oscar. And the Tiny Desk is unbelievable. Those are definitely two Tiny Desks I would highly recommend that people go and listen to. And of course, we'll get into a bunch of other topics today that hopefully will also entice you. But be on the lookout for future stuff uh, from me in regards to some of the other things I was listening to recently, specifically around my masterclass. But I will tease that out later on. But I think what we will do is jump over to, let's say we'll go to Jason. Jason, what have you been listening to? Before I do that, I wanted to piggyback off of what you were talking about with the tiny desk. It's now I've seen a lot of those. I have not seen those two. And I, I think I'm not 100% sure. I want to say John Baptiste is also like kind of the resident uh, musician for The Tonight Show. Oh, wow. uh, Stephen Colbert's. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's where like even before doing being involved with the soul soundtrack a lot like the way the roots are with uh jimmy fallon's yeah, uh, yeah. series or whatever but anyway there's a serious rabbit hole that can be followed with that because i know i've seen some great tiny desk performances before and during the uh, pandemic like before the pandemic it was like in that little office space or whatever they had but you know during a lot of people were performing from their houses and whatnot and that was pretty cool now as far as what i've been listening to lately it's been a lot it's literally um i had done some uh crate digging this like weird antique shop that uh, uh my wife had taken me to i had picked up several albums that you know then i proceeded to turn around and clean i was literally listening to one of the herbie uh hancock albums i found in that like i found two mr hands and uh monster i've heard parts of mr hands before so i already knew i like that i haven't heard monster yet so i guess more details to come on that but then also uh i happened to see minnie ripperton's perfect angel which is the album that has uh loving you which it's kind of surreal because it's it's a beautiful track not to say that the rest of the album didn't have interesting stuff but i don't think any of those singles kind of made heavy rotation or whatever but listening to the way she coos over her daughter Maya Rudolph at the very end of that track is it's like wow because I mean I think for all intents and purposes Maya's probably five or so years my senior so it's just it's it's kind of it's kind of wild I mean just music has a historical context too and it's cool she has such a an amazing voice and unfortunately you know her battle with cancer took her out way too soon So, I mean, there are more albums than I that I picked up than I've completely listened to at this point. But another one that I picked up was a, a Phyllis Hyman album. That album is amazing, but it is not something you want to listen to if you are in a happy place. I mean, for those that aren't really familiar with her life, she was going through a whole lot of stuff emotionally when she was like you know when her star had kind of risen and ultimately it ended with her taking her own life there are some singers that you know you can tell exactly what they're going through you could hear sort of how they're feeling in their like voice when they sing 
very few that I can think of transmit that so clearly as she did. And she had an amazing voice. She was an amazing talent. And again, for slightly different reasons, taken uh, from the world way too soon, in my opinion. And baby, I refuse to be lonely. That's kind of what I've been listening to. Oh, yeah. And then I also got a copy of um, The Roots had done a reissue of their second album. Like, I ordered it way at the beginning of the year. It just arrived a week and a half or so ago. And so I had been, like, really digging on that. Because, like, I have several of their albums at this point. But I think they were really on my radar as of Things Fall Apart. I never really got into this album at the time. But listening to it now, I'm like, oh, this is brilliant it's a uh, do you want more just uh in case anybody wants to go check that out i would ha- definitely highly recommend it but then again i would definitely highly recommend pretty much their entire catalog so that's that so i've talked about the band leader for colbert jason's talked about the band for fallon so i'm assuming anthony's going to talk about bruce springsteen and max <laughs> weinberg next <laughs> paul schaefer <laughs> Proud Canadian Paul Schaefer. I will say that my connection to Paul Schaefer will be that he wrote It's Raining Men? No way. Yes. So wow. So, <laughs> as a little, like, trivia ditty, he wrote that song. I had no idea. That's that's a fun fact. <laughs> Paul Jabera and Paul Schaefer wrote it in 1979. Oh, fuck. For a split second there, I've been using that as trivia, and then I was like, oh my god, have I been bullshit? people (laughs) i was like no i'm pretty sure it's that it is okay anyway i haven't been listening to it's raining men but i do love that song who doesn't oh it's so good unbelievable um but what i have been listening to recently is tied to my new social activities i've been able to do because of opening the reopening of ontario um, as we've entered stage three, I've been able to go indoors and visit my friends. Very nice. Yeah. So uh, last week, I was able to go over to my friend Ace's place. And while I painted my nails a shiny pink color. Oh, yes, you uh, did. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, if only we had video. I know. I'll post it on the Instagram. So yeah, while I was painting my nails, they played Resident Evil Village. And I am a huge fan of the Resident Evil video game series. Some of the movies are good, but uh, I was excited because all of this talk about Lady... I'm going to mess up her name, so I'm going to call her Lady D. She's kind of become an internet meme, and I've seen it a lot. But I've also just heard really good things about the game. So while my friend Ace was playing, I just kept commenting to them that I was like... This soundtrack is unbelievable. It was so well done. The game is beautiful. I am probably going to be picking it up myself. I really enjoy watching other people play video games. And so this was an opportunity for me to watch someone. But then I immediately was like, I got to play this game. And I got to listen to the soundtrack. And 
And also, along soundtrack-wise, I've been getting into the Fear Street movies on Netflix. Are either of you familiar with the Fear Street books? No. Not the books, no. And I think I've only just kind of seen... Is the recent Fear Street, like, 1980s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was 1994, 1978, and then it goes back to 1866. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so um, the Fear Street books were based on R.L. Stein or written by R.L. Stein, and they were a horror genre that was directed toward teens. And so obviously it wouldn't have any of the, like, smut or adult language, but it definitely had the gore and the somewhat spooky and violent aspects of some other horror films, or sorry, horror novels. And they always were well known for these covers that were very they were illustrated in cartoon but they were very shocking and very like you know some it was often a girl looking directly at the reader being like what's gonna happen they were a very popular series of books when i was growing up as a teenager and i read several of them and then now netflix has turned it into this trilogy of movies that kind of tells a story about the town it takes place in and i got to watch the first movie and it's fantastic it's such a good nod to 90s horror it's a a really well-written story it's a, a good setup and as I was watching it, I was like, this soundtrack is on the money for 90s horror. I was like, it sounds like the Scream 2 soundtrack, which is one of my favorite horror movies. And uh, lo and behold, I looked it up and the person who scored it was Marco Beltrami, who is this um, soundtrack producer for Scream 2. <laughs> Scream 1, 2, and 3, actually. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I'm really into that right now. He was the overall director of the soundtracks, but he worked individually with one other musician on each of the soundtracks to kind of blend um, his style and theirs. So it's a really fantastic set piece that is over across three movies, and I'm really eating it up. I'm really loving it. I can't watch much more of the movies. I'm again, found a, they just announced yesterday that there's going to be a, a three vinyl pressing of these uh, soundtracks that... I'm definitely going to be all over. Thank you, Waxwork Records. I'd like to ask them right now because <laughs> I'm a big supporter of them. They were actually one of the first people I bought a record off of. So that's kind of what it's been a soundtrack and specifically horror soundtrack filled week in my or several weeks since we last recorded. <laughs> Is Fear Street kind of that step up from Goosebumps? Yes. Goosebumps kind of... Yes, totally. Like, Goosebumps was for the preteens. No murder, no blood. It was lots of spooky elements, and, uh, you know, maybe somebody died, but it was a fright. Whereas the Fear Street was definitely a lot more, you know, knife to the throat, and a bloody body is found, and teens go to have a party to figure out how it happened. Okay. Scandal. <laughs> so yes. almost like live action graphic novels. Yes, which is, again, a little bit of a nice tie-in to what we're going to be talking today with anime, uh, making that jump from page to screen. Jason with the segue. There we go. Oh, well. Hey, you know. I mean, I yeah, I'm not, fa- I'm not familiar with that particular uh, series or whatever, although I do kind of remember Goosebumps being a, a popular thing for a while. Um, but, you know, I mean, that's just me not being the biggest fan of the horror genre, but we've established that already. 
yeah. completely understandable. It was definitely a Scholastics book fair find for me when I first got my first um, Goosebump books. It was just randomly there, bought it, and was it, in kind of very similar to what Anthony was talking about, a very stylized, animated cover that hinted at something creepy that was going on in the books. But now just bringing up the Fear Street covers online. Yeah, definitely kind of that step up. Shot. The best thing with the Fear Street books is they always had really exaggerated titles. Like Silent Night, Deadly Night. <laughs> <laughs> the Campfire Massacre. It's like they would always pair something nice with something awful. <laughs> Sounds kind of like the uh, precursor for Deadly Women, if you ask me, but I digress. Oh, that's <laughs> interesting. I would, yeah, <laughs> I'd look into that. I'd write a thesis paper about that, sure. There we go. Welcome to our TED Talk. <laughs> Not to uh, digress from that point too much, I, it was going to bug me if I didn't look it up. Um, the album I was talking about from Phyllis Hyman was You Know How to Love Me from 1979. It was her fourth album. So anyway, just to, to close that loop. No, I think that is the perfect sort of closeout now to move into our main topic. So thank you very much to you both. We'll take a quick break here and we will jump right into our follow-up conversation on anime. I think it's time to blow this thing. Get everybody in the stuff together. Okay, three, two, one, it's jam. So we've just finished up our What You're Listening To, so let's go ahead and jump right into our main topic here. Let's continue the conversation from the last episode. So Jason, you provided us a fantastic masterclass on your love of anime. You took us through some really great shows, specifically Cowboy Bebop. You wanted us to kind of take a look at Cowboy Bebop as a series in your masterclass. And then kind of at the end of that episode, we talked about how we wanted to do something similar from Anthony's masterclass. We had kind of the plan to look at Vampiros Lesbos alone, but then we kind of converted in, into a bigger conversation about horror. Then we kind of looked at Vampiros Lesbos outside of that episode, plus Candyman. So we want to do the same here. So we're going to dive into a little bit of a discussion about Cowboy Bebop now that we have kind of expanded our viewing of the series. I can say for myself, I took kind of, I would think I was at about episode 15 when we uh, recorded the masterclass. I'm now officially done the series. I'm going to move on to the movie. And I know that there is a, a Netflix uh, live action version coming out. So maybe that'll be something we can talk about at the tail end of our Cowboy Bebop conversation. But I'm all ready to go and I am uh, interested to see what uh, additional discussions we bring up in today's discussion. But I will pass it over to Jason to kind of kick us back off into the anime discussion. So I'm I'm really happy that you both had a chance to get through the series. Um, I mean, I even though it's a relatively short series compared to a lot of other anime that you could watch, it's still 25 hours of commitment to get through it all. But I hope that now that you're through with it, you kind of see how unique it is in terms of the way music is used throughout. What did you all think, not just of the series, but just how the music was used throughout? I can start. So I'm still going through a bit of a slow burn of it. Okay. And I think the music is the best part for me. The music is really engaging for me. And I found that I'm tending to put it on in the background as something to listen to. I don't know if this is my reaction to anime or just sometimes too long of series it can be really exhausting for me. But I find it's more enjoyable, almost as a background thing for me. But what I think is tying into that is the fact that 
I'm enjoying the music so much. <laughs> and so I don't necessarily have a grasp on a lot of like the specific characters and I can, you know, kind of follow along with the plot. But I really will say that the music has been something that's the best takeaway for me is that I really enjoy just putting it on in the background and listening to it. Um, and it's been on my Spotify playlist. That Tank opening song is so special and so unique that I haven't heard anything like that in a while. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's my, like, confession, if you will, is that, I don't know, it's been a little bit... I think also the other thing for me is some of the pandemic. It's been really hard for me to mass watch stuff. Like, i really committing the attention, mm-hmm. like, sitting down. So even when you come back to that, like you know, the, all the episodes, even though most anime is quite lengthy and there's so much to get through, I found this a little bit daunting. Even the 25 episodes, I was like, this is a lot. Like, I'm really finding it's taking me a long time to actually get into it. And again, that might be my own personal viewing. So yeah, I guess that's where I can add to the conversation right now. (laughs) It's also tied to kind of what you were talking about and what you're listening to. You're going back into the world. We are finally in stage three. Vaccine numbers are really good in Ontario. We're starting to get back with friends in both outdoor and indoor spaces. So for me, like we have a delay in our most recent episode just because I've been being more comfortable getting outside of the house. And of course, weather. In Canada, when you have nice weather, you take advantage of it because it's only around for about two and a half weeks so i i can completely understand the delay i i found when i was watching it i'm kind of probably the opposite of you anthony i want to focus on it more and i think it's also the conversation what we discussed last time was how do you consume it is it with the english dub or is it with the japanese original audio with subtitles and i'm the japanese audio with subtitles guy so i have to kind of focus in on it but i was really loving the take and getting right into it I'm trying to figure out, Jason, what song you would have been all about. I'm hoping it's not the Mad Perot um, Space World no. carnival music, which was creepy and eerie, and I'm trying to figure it out. So, okay, all right, well, I'll definitely, although that series is pretty, I mean, that particular episode is pretty good, and mm-hmm. the music, yeah, that was cool and creepy and all that stuff. That is not the song I was referring to. Gosh, there's so many. I, I need to focus all these uh, questions I have that I want to <laughs> fire at you all. But so just in full disclosure, the song that really sort of blew my mind at the moment I first heard it was uh, Cats on Mars, which was when Ed was introduced. It had sort of this bubblegum aspect to it. It also had this like really cool electronica component that I was just like, oh my God, this is cool. And plus the voice for the singing, like sort of the childishness of it really did it for me. And that's like the one song that like to this day, as much as I love that soundtrack, I'm so salty that it didn't make its way on there. Maybe one of these days I'll have to look into what's up with that. But that song for me was just kind of like one of those moments like, oh my gosh. I mean, there's some uh, definite honorable mentions, though. Like, as you mentioned that, another one that's pretty creepy that I thought was brilliant and I think it's used towards the very end is like the walk in the rain when things get pretty heated with the main character and like his at least main antagonist. But 
but there's just so much to point out because i mean like the episode with the mushrooms and like the mushroom hunting There are just so many different cool tracks that have, like, their own real personality. And then I think also towards the very end of that series, when they, I don't know if they would technically be Native American, but they give off that vibe at, like, the beginning of the end of the series. And there's this song that has sort of this tribal aspect to it that also is just sort of really gripping. And that is on the soundtrack. There's so many gems that are used so well throughout the series. I was kind of curious, and Anthony, I don't know if you made it this far or if you made it this far, if you were like paying heavy attention to it. I was curious what your take on the character Gren was, if you saw that episode. No, I don't know if I got that. So about maybe two thirds of the way in one of the episodes, there's this, uh, you know, again, as things are kind of heating up and you're learning more about like this situation between the main character and his main antagonist, there's this character that's introduced who is like a lounge singer, but also like has this backstory as like a a sort of a a revolutionary not exactly gangster but sort of like underground sort of assassin type history i I mean i don't know the best way to describe it but anyways when i was talking about the first Mm -hmm. non-binary character Mm -hmm. that i think i've ever seen in an anime series that's exactly who i was speaking of because the way that the series presents them um yeah they go into the fact that that person may be a hermaphrodite or something like that but also i mean some of the music in that particular thing because again you know she was sort of like acting like a lounge singer it was just it was a really cool episode to me so i was curious what your take was so on that i just pulled them up and yes while i haven't gotten to that point yet just doing a quick brief read i do remember ha- hearing online conversations about this character in this specific series that i think to me is a really amazing representation i think even without the use of pronouns or even correct pronouns if they're going to you know correctly identify them just reading about their experience and their physicality and so looking at that and seeing even how they directly reference the crying game so again there's an online reference that that scene was directly influenced by the crying game scene so the fact that you have a character that is in the sense non-binary or presenting as both male and female and then to directly reference the crying game with their intent um, which is a story about unfortunately the twist ending reveal is that it is a trans person but i uh, think this is one of those things that I kind of get frustrated with myself about because I see and hear about these representations and I want to get into them and I want to experience them. But sometimes I get a little, yeah, I don't know. Again, it comes, I think it's come back to my like viewing. And so this is something that a part of the show that I'm like, crap, this is really, really great. And I wish I could engage with this. But yeah, I found it really hard to digest sometimes like not in a bad way but so i wish i could give more perspective on it but just from what i read on the internet i think it's a really progressive amazing 
representation that hopefully when I finish or get to that point, that I can definitely comment a little bit more. Once you do get there, Anthony, definitely raise it with us and we can kind of whatever record we're in, we can kind of kick it off or, or come back to this discussion and make sure that you're able to have a, a your say or a part in the, the conversation for sure. For me, it, I thought the representation was really well done because they were just pretty open and honest with it. And Gren seemed to be very comfortable with, like, obviously Gren was talking about how they hadn't provided their gender or whatever out there. But I think that was more tied towards the shady business that Gren was a part of, like obviously coming from a so soldier attack, like fighting on Titan, going into like hiding on this planet that was all male. I believe that was kind of the point, this little location that they were kind of situated on. They hadn't seen a woman for quite some time. And so Faye shows up and was kind of hanging out at the bar and the bartender's like, oh, you better watch yourself. These guys haven't seen women for quite some time. And then Faye hooking up with Gren and then kind of the reveal happening in Gren's apartment. I think it was just so matter of fact and so simple. I think it was really well done in that regard. And Gren was kind of right up front with it. It's like, this is who I am. I'm both, I'm neither, I'm I'm all sorts of things. And I think it, it speaks to the progressive nature of anime. It seems like, I don't know what it is, if it's kind of linking it to the science fiction nature of Cowboy Bebop, or if it's just the ability to be able to play in a brand new space because it's all animated and you create everything involved in that space. But the creators of Cowboy Bebop seem to be really comfortable with doing a lot of really interesting gender-bending stuff in the show and, and not only with the character of Gren, but kind of with Ed, there's this kind of back and forth. Are you my son? Are you my daughter? As I kind of found out in the, I think it was the second to last episode where we say goodbye to Ed, like when Ed is back on earth and finds their father and the father is like, oh, look, it's my son. Or was it my daughter? I'm not too sure, but it doesn't matter. It's not like a, it has to be one or the other. It's just this, we don't really care because in the future, everything's kind of messed up. Everything's all over the place. And maybe that's what they were trying to go for with Gran, but they just kind of brought it up so casually and so simply. And I think it was really interesting that the way that they presented it there. I also find it interesting that it's Gran that kind of presents the only nudity, quote unquote, in the entire show. And it's just to kind of add on to that reveal. Whereas typically my experience with anime was kind of the classic samurai stories with Ninja Scroll, which is breasts left, right, and center. I mean, they're all over the place. And in a lot of animes, that's kind of the case. There's a lot of nudity, typically female nudity, in that genre. Uh, it's interesting how that was kind of the only point of nudity. When you have such like a sexualized character like Faye, who's kind of wearing skimpy outfits and has the the jiggle physics going on like mad here, but they assign oh, it's crazy. <laughs> but they assign all of the the nudity component to the grand character just to kind of add on to the reveal or just to make it I don't know a lot easier for the viewer or just kind of nonchalant with it. I am definitely not planning to aggravate or get on any Asian friends like shit list for mischaracterizing the way they deal with sexuality because it's different. I won't say that it seemed it's more open than like more Western cultures because in a way it's not, but they also don't seem to get hung up on some of the same sets of things that I guess societies that are more uh, focused on Christian narratives and Christian ways of thinking are in terms of like, you know, being ultra repressed about sexuality. Like, I mean, yeah, because you can go from anything as benign as like, say, Dragon Ball, like pretty much almost every series where there is a woman character in it, chances are you're going to find you're going to find at least two, one that has gigantic breasts 
and one who is probably flat-chested, and then there's always this sort of weird tension between the flat-chested one and, you know, the one that's, like, more amply endowed. There's almost always that, almost every series I can ever think about. And there's and then there's always kind of some lecherous older character who, you know, has a nosebleed every time he's around, like, somebody who's, uh, you know, would be considered attractive. I mean, that's almost perennial. It wasn't as focused on in Cowboy Bebop, which, you know, to its credit, and maybe because of when it was developed, maybe a little bit more woke in that regard, although that was kind of not really the thing in like the late 90s, early 2000s yet. But yeah, it's, it's. I mean, I, I think that exploration, and I don't know, I've, to me, Ed, the way they dealt with Ed was kind of just different. It wasn't even so much like about her sexuality, because the vibe that ed gives was just that she was too young to like for anybody to really care and then you've got this absent-minded father who really just wasn't involved in his child's life enough to know or care what she was like you know what i mean so it wasn't necessarily like yes she was ambiguous but there are plenty of kids that if you give them the right ha- uh, haircut or you know put them in the right set of clothes it's not all that obvious anymore and it's not until puberty kicks in and like ed is a, a pure character than that i think but i i just i found it really fascinating and it's not even that gren was trans i don't i don't get that vibe maybe the right term to use because i think i've heard this in the past is intersex it's just they're literally not one or the other it's they're both and that's a part of their identity so i don't know if that's necessarily appropriate even to compare to transgendered uh individuals i'm not gonna go there but i'll just say that i think that that series taking it on was really fantastic to me and i i I think that's pretty cool But even just going on to other specific episodes, some of that music just in terms of building drama was expert. I mean, like I mentioned Walk in the Rain a few moments ago, which is maybe used twice, but definitely used towards the very end. Just leading up to that final fight between uh, Spike and Vicious, you know, I think the use of music there was just really, really expert to me. And I really can't think of any parallels in any other of the series that I've like sat through. Those end episodes, I I noticed music was coming in with a lot more vocals to it, and it seemed, yeah, they were definitely building the tension extremely well going into this just showing up, getting captured, getting tortured, ready for execution, and then kind of the twist happens to allow Vicious to succeed, and then going into that spike final fight. I mean, that's... and, And for an anime, like, typically what you think about when you think about anime are, like, big action pieces, lots of violence, lots of gore. It didn't really occur in Cowboy Bebop until that end fight where Spike's trying to get after Vicious and it was only him and it was just that classic sort of one guy against the entire group doing crazy stuff with weapons and explosives and then swordplay at the end. I think the music ratcheted up the tension tenfold because it i don't know if it was just the style of music that started to come in at the end it wasn't so much of the fun sort of 
jazzy, bluesy, like Western influenced harmonica music, which we talked about in the last episode. It was more sort of emotional and intense and geared towards the setting that it was eventually getting to, which I thought was was really well done. Yeah. Even when we talk about like Death Note and Sailor Moon, like even the relationship of the music in Cowboy Bebop compared to that, like, you know, with Death Note, the experience is a lot different. And I think Sailor Moon's focus, although I mean, don't want to really preempt anything you all are going to say is at least for me the music there almost has like a, a gem vibe to it where it's mm. it's kind of like it's mm-hmm. anyways so i'll just leave that there so it's one of the reasons why i kind of think you know if we're going to talk about music in anime there really wasn't much of a better study you know while we were going through and sort of rating like naruto openings and endings those are the openings and endings. They're literally like, you know, a minute, minute and a half, two minutes of the beginning and the ends of the episodes, but they don't appear in the actual storyline very much. And yes, there's a more of a score-like component with the various episodes and like a lot of those series, but it's kind of hard to pinpoint a track and say, oh, this particular song, whatever the title is, oh, that was amazing, because it's more like they use more of a score-like presentation to sort of make the point in specific moments. There may be certain parts of that score that are kind of cool and gripping or emotionally sort of riveting, but it's not the same as like a concrete track where you can be like, oh yeah, well, this particular song was used amazingly in this way. Anyways, I, I think that's probably a lot of what I have to say with the the music. But again, if you guys have the opportunity to grab that actual soundtrack. I It's one I would highly recommend because it is so easy to listen to completely outside of the context of the series. The tracks have a very standard format for the most part. While it there is a heavy jazz uh, focus of a lot of the songs, it is definitely not completely rooted in that. They, they do go into some different type of musical uh, directions and I, I think it's very cool. Never seen a blue sky. Well, I'm I'm glad you all had a chance to appreciate it on some level. And actually, Anthony, if the most you ever get into it is a constant listen to the soundtrack on like Spotify or whatever, that's kind of brilliant. Because I mean, the music is really just that good. I'm a little sad that they didn't pop in a digital download of that because it's like oh, i don't want to have to go and rip that vinyl. Ah. <laughs> but having said that i mean it's it's just it's one that's kind of fun to listen in many different contexts and it's something that gets brought into rotation like every now and then and i really enjoy it when i do so cool i'm glad i had a chance to share that with you all yeah i really uh, am appreciative of being just finding the soundtrack and i'm 100 percent going to be getting the vinyl of it uh, and again, I'm seeing a lot more posts about it now. I'm part of a uh, several soundtrack groups. And on one of them, he was accidentally shipped two Cowboy Bebop soundtracks, like vinyl Ooh. soundtracks. And so he was giving away one. <laughs> and so I was like, what is happening? This is like perfect timing. Obviously, I didn't win. Aww. But I know, tear down my face. But I definitely will be taking this soundtrack away from 2021 as one of my top albums of the year. Because, like you said, all said, different styles that they blended were so well done. And all I hear is passion and joy and fun from this album. Every time I listen to it, I just hear 
a group of people who came together and used what they know about music and created something that is their references and almost like their own little in jokes and references to different styles of music that definitely sounds like a paired with the visual. So I'm excited to continue listening to the soundtrack and I'm excited to slowly but surely get through the show. Big props to Yoko Kano and the seatbelts. I mean, mm. there is no better way to start off a show than with Tank and... Yeah. That is one of those intros that you just don't skip. Well, I want to close the conversation here on Cowboy Bebop for now. We will reopen that book whenever, Anthony, you hit kind of certain episodes that you want to talk about. So take your time. But Jason, I want to get your thoughts on the live action remake of Cowboy Bebop that's coming out starring John Cho and a bunch of other people. I don't know specifically. I just know Mr. Cho there. And I believe Netflix has announced that they've officially wrapped up filming. They're ready to release soonish. Uh, but they had this kind of teaser out with the cast doing a table read and a little corgi playing uh, I'm fine. coming in and, awesome. and getting uh, getting some water. So what are your thoughts of revisiting this property in live action form? I don't know how to feel about it yet. I feel like this is something that has been teased for a handful of years now. I Generally speaking, something being converted to live action doesn't necessarily get me super excited. But I think if it's done well, it could be amazing. Um, especially... I would love to see how its music is sort of reincorporated into it. I did not see any of the recent trailers, so I think after we do this record, I'm going to have to dig that up and see. But that aside, even if it wasn't in live action form, I would love to see this sort of storyline revisited somehow. I mean, the series kind of closes the door pretty well. It's not like there's much room for a sequel, but I mean, again... It's way out in the future in space, so I mean, there's no reason why, I don't know, it couldn't potentially come in some sort of different incarnation sort of based on the premise of it. I don't, I don't know, but I'm curious and to be continued. That's a good approach, I think, being curious and being open and not just immediately shutting the door. I'm just laughing because Netflix has a terrible reputation for adapting anime. And I laugh because I'm cruel, apparently. But it's one of those things that it's like a series of translations for me, and they always tend to get watered down as it goes. So it starts off as a manga, and then it becomes an anime, and then it becomes a real-life anime, but it's by Western production companies. And even though original team members are involved, uh, I'm always like, what is the purpose of a live-action anime? Right. Let's stop there. Let's put Cowboy Bebop back on the shelf. And we will drift over to Anthony to take us into uh, Sailor Moon. So, Anthony, you sent us an episode of Sailor Moon, which I believe was the first ever it was. episode. Yep. So take us through your love of Sailor Moon or your enjoyment of it. And yeah, we'll we'll get into discussing that. So back in the 90s uh, in Ontario, there was a channel called YTV. And it was often the hub of anime access. It's definitely one of the first channels I remember having anime. And I believe that was Dragon Ball Z. seeing adverts for Dragon Ball Z and I tried to watch a couple episodes but I think because there were so many episodes and I didn't watch them 
at the same time. It was like there would be a block. So I'd like one watch on episode and then what I thought was the next episode would all of a sudden be this completely different plot. And I had no idea what was going on. And I was like, well, this isn't fun. But when I was home, I believe I might have been sick because it was around 12 o'clock, I remember watching it. But I put on YTV, and the Sailor Moon premiere episode happened to be on. And I watched that whole thing, uh, and I, I actually stuck with the first season of the show. And I really enjoyed it. As I've said in previous episodes, one of my favorite sub-genres is women helping women. And so I just gravitated towards female center stories because I think there is like a, a bit of a safety. It's a little bit of a less macho. I just tended to like a little bit more of those type of shows. And throughout the first episode of Sailor Moon, she's just a average whiny schoolgirl. And I really love that that's how she defeats the villain in the end, is that her constant screaming and wailing pierces their ears and then she's able to do her moon tiara <gasps> moon tiara power i just ate that shit up like i was on board from day one it was like the just the reusing of the same scenes for the transformation. Something about that really stuck with me that I was like, man, that's obviously cost cutting because I was aware enough that I know the why they did it. But it really just is one of the most, like my cherished childhood memory viewing experiences was watching Sailor Moon. And uh, I didn't stick with it because again, like most anime, it just all of a sudden jumped from one season to like season 45. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, that's a lot of sailoring. I was able to at some point check in with the live action movies because they did them too. They made live action Sailor Moon movies. Oh gosh, I had no idea. Yeah, uh, it's something I file under can't unsee. Oh, because they're not good. Like again, if you're, it's very. I don't know. I'm not familiar enough with anime adaptations, but it definitely just had a cheap Power Rangers feel to it. Um, okay, and so. I shared the Sailor Moon episode one with you guys because that's my primary connection to anime and that's often where it ends is that I love Sailor Moon and I love the characters, but I haven't really caught up with it. That's why the first episode I sent you is one that I probably watched like 12 times because it would just come on repeat and then, you know, there's a series of, you know, 12 or 13 episodes that I saw repeatedly. Um, and this one kicked it off for me. And just that iconic theme song of she is the one named Sailor Moon. It's, it gets stuck in your head. It's a gem like quality. Definitely. I would agree, Jason, that it has these built in pop feminized pop songs that are really in there. But again, I just love the lyrics. She will always help a friend in need. Like, what? That's your like your theme song is like her talking about helping her friends in times of need. I'm like, I love it. <laughs> huh. Yeah, so that's definitely, and again, Sailor Moon is also a bit of a flip for most female-based characters in anime. As we've talked about, it's the big titty versus titty, tiny titty girls. 
That's usually the competing nature of a lot of female characters. And even if there aren't many female characters with speaking roles, the roles that are there for visual representation, again, tight clothes, big breasts, big booties, like it's a very stereotypical representation. And Sailor Moon for me is one of those things that subverts that because it's not about big busted beauties. It's about their flowing outfits. It's about their hair. It's about their attitude. It's about their friendships. It's about leaning on each other. It's about the love of Tuxedo Mask. Anyway, so that's where I'm going to kind of interject my Sailor Moon-ness. <laughs> I'm always reluctant to sort of fall on anything stereotypical, but the fact that you love Sailor Moon just seems so in character. Like, I... I, ah! I um... <laughs> I know, so, it's, it's on brand, as the kids it, would say. <laughs> yeah, it, it is, and it's... But, I mean, I, I get it. I found myself looking up another series that I kind of avoided that I feel was out around the same time. Maybe unfairly, but I kind of lumped them in the same place. There was a series called Tenchi Muyo, which is kind of like, you know, this one guy and like a bunch of women that are constantly around them that are kind of fantastical in their own way. Like, I mean, you know, they all have like powers and abilities and, you know, like... They're kind of sophisticated in a way, but like I don't sort of stay abreast of like all of the sort of subgenres. But like in looking at a wiki just uh, a few moments ago, I was like, oh, that's a harem thing. And to me, I always thought Sailor Moon, just from the vibe that I got from it when like it would sort of come on, was like it was sort of the harem in reverse. I mean, well, actually, not so much because I mean, yeah, there was this so much emphasis on tuxedo mask and like I, I don't know, it, it kind of felt like that, although that maybe isn't quite an apt comparison but i never watched enough of sailor moon to sort of see how it differed in that way but the theme is yeah like you said it is very catchy it's one of those things where it's like even if you don't like it chances are the words are going to kind of stick in your head just because of how sing-songy it is in you know watching that episode again i guess i don't think i've ever seen the pilot episode of it so seeing that and sort of like her start and how she sort of comes to be recruited as a Sailor Moon. That was kind of interesting. Seeing that didn't want me make me want to dive into like the additional episodes after. It was just kind of like, oh, okay, well. One thing it also kind of reminded me of, although this is only going to make sense, I think, if you actually saw Unico too, like when I mentioned that and sort of like what got me into anime in the first place. There were vibes of that with like sort of the opening sort of heavens or wherever, mm. like, you know, sort of the, the lore that sailors came from in the first place that it kind of reminded me of that. But it also, I think because of that, made it sort of even more childish to me. But all that to say that I, I definitely get why you uh, like it. And the yeah, the, the song is catchy and I mean, it is good in its its own way. So I'm there with you on that. Uh, the one thing I'll say is the rest of the music throughout that episode didn't necessarily stand Completely out. Forgettable. Completely yeah, forgettable. Yeah, yeah, in any particular way. It so is, it, to me, it almost runs as like kooky zany music that it's, it's just sitcom like, music yeah it it's totally a sitcom it's like, sort of interstitial yes. let's change from scene to scene yep. and here's kind of our do, weird do, sort do, of do, it's like the do, seinfeld do. baseline yes. music i mm -hmm. am not running out to get the sailor moon soundtrack by any means but i definitely think the theme song is the strongest piece of music in this piece of media because yeah, i agree the inter music that they use throughout the episodes is just there to serve a purpose and not to add anything 
My wife got a CD that's called Pachelbel's Greatest Hit. Huh? And it's huh? just different huh? versions of Pachelbel's Canon and D oh, wow. just played like with different instruments. Like it's just, it's completely stupid. That's what the Sailor Moon soundtrack yes. should be. It's just the Sailor Moon theme over, over and over, over again. Different, different artists versions. And different styles. Yeah. And yeah. That's, that's what it is. Although that would be kind of interesting to see a bunch of people covering that in like their own way. Like, you know, where that could go. I, I, that may not be a bad thing. <laughs> no, I'd be on board with that. So I had a familiarity with Sailor Moon from my childhood, same way that Anthony did. We had YTV, and that was kind of our connection to anything that was kind of not typically Canadian. Like, we could get standard things on the CBC. We could get stuff on TV Ontario, as I believe Anthony mentioned previously. But YTV was definitely that import. And then kind of Much Music did the same thing with a lot of the Nickelodeon stuff, and we would be able to, to start seeing things that way. But I will definitely say that when I was younger, I ascribed to the very stereotypical boy things whereas i saw sailor moon yuck that's a that's a girl show i'm not on board with that whereas now i can kind of look at it from a completely different lens and look at the first episode and go okay i get it i understand i appreciate the support the women helping women that idea that you can empower yourself and do things like on your own and you don't you can defeat evil by relying on friends and all that the show is forgettable to me though like i i won't go back to it as kind of jason mentioned i i'm not gonna return to the show i enjoy the theme song it definitely is right up there with i think gem or jason's gem uh analogy it was spot on like that but probably less so just more so in the theme song um gem obviously had a ton more music throughout the series that is memorable and can be put onto an album we would listen to it constantly whereas the as we just talked about the sailor moon music is just nothing Anthony, do you want to go a little bit more into the additional video you sent us and <laughs> the importance of that? Yes, I would, Don. So the other video that I sent you was about a Toronto cosplay artist named Bear Sailor Moon. <laughs> so uh, for listeners who aren't aware, Bear is a reference in the queer community to bigger, hairier, huskier men um, that often identify as gay. And it really came about in like the early 90s when this whole concept of the stereotypical image you see of a gay male is often very thin, very tall, white, uh, very effeminate, dresses very well, you know, has a lisp and a really limp wrist. And out of the AIDS pandemic, identity really started to play an important role in asserting a you know, forms of power for people in the queer community. So Bear really kind of took off as this subsect of homosexuals who are physically look like me. And this cosplayer in Toronto has adapted Sailor Moon as his choice of character. And he's becoming really popular because he just represents a a brilliant gender bending of such a popular female character and i really wanted to share that with you to show how impactful not only sailor moon is but how kind of reciprocal it is to be able to engage in a fandom that is accepting of somebody who's gender bending with cosplay because there are spaces that are really not always like that right now (laughs) to me again this leads into a little bit of a bigger conversation about sexuality in japan and i think i again would need to do a little bit more research but certain attitudes and approaches to sexuality in japan seem really progressive and they seem really 
really amazing, like a different approaches to sex and different approaches to ways in which sexuality and nudity are presented. And then there is a completely backwards attitude towards deviant sex or sex that's not considered mainstream. So homosexuality in Japan is a big no-no. Like It is still not acceptable. It is still not as accepted widely as here in North America and other parts of the world. So, I don't know. I just found it really interesting that this popular anime character has now developed a subsect of fandom that is directly correlated with the queer male experience. Um, and so I just wanted to know what you guys thought of that. What was... It's a bit silly. It's a bit kooky. It's a bit zany. But, yeah, I thought it was a really fun way to engage with the character of Sailor Moon. Seeing individuals kind of really embrace their favorite characters and dress up like them is a, it's a lovely sentiment. It's a really enjoyable thing to watch. And for the gender bending to occur with Bayer Sailor Moon there or any other character who chooses to kind of gender swap a character or make a character non-conforming to, to any sort of specific gender, gender is completely fantastic. I thought the video was lovely and it, it just showed just what any individual can take from any specific piece of media or anything that they watch or hear or see or whatever. And everybody's going to have different reactions with it, which is why we, we do this mm -hmm. podcast here. Like we, we talk about things and other people are going to disagree with our takes. Some will agree with everything that we say. And a lot of people will just be right in the middle there. So it's nice to see that Bear Sailor Moon is dressing up and winning competitions as a very different looking Sailor Moon, but it's because he enjoys the character and, and appreciates what the character has put on offer. I mean, Anthony, you talked about your enjoyment of Sailor Moon because it's like together with friends and women yeah. helping women and all that importance. Heck, if you want to turn that into dressing up like the character and gender swapping it, by all means. Yeah, and I think for me, Anthony, it's everything you said. It was it was kooky, it was zany, it was like, you know, all of that. For me, I'd, I've never been to like, you know, a Comic-Con or like, you know, one of those otaku sort of like conventions or like spaces where like the cosplay thing is like huge like i've never sort of just walked around in that i've seen enough men and women either playing like cosplaying like same sex or different sex characters that i think seeing you know bear sailor moon was it was just like oh okay well that's kind of novel uh mm -hmm. you know i i also i mean i think i found it kind of amusing that like you know, he didn't sort of do the whole traditional drag thing with it, where, like, mm -hmm. he tried to look as, like, female Sailor Moon as yes. possible. Like, he was just like, Good call. I I'm I'm doing this full, I'm rocking this full beard thing. I'm like, I'm going to throw on this Sailor Moon outfit that I initially made and then, like, you know, got more sophisticated with it. And this is just what I do. And, you know, I, I all I do is win, <laughs> you know, yes, like, I love um, that. It was interesting. It was kind of a, a, a novel watch, but like in a way, it wasn't all that spectacular to me because I've seen so much of that sort of thing from both sexes that it's just like, oh, okay, well, cool. And I think that points out uh, or that points to the really accepting nature of cosplay because I really agree with you. I've seen um, a lot of really phenomenal gender bending costumes, but I've also seen just general amazing costumes. Uh, and Toronto has a healthy cosplaying scene. I'm so lucky that even though I haven't attended event, I would, in the before times, constantly see people dressed up walking around downtown. I'm not joking when I say I saw a rogue and mystique and gambit. 
And I had to do a triple take because I swear to God, it was literally like they were ripped from the the pages of the comic book and they were in real life. Like I have seen some amazing up close personal costumes. So I also have a little bit of hometown pride that Bear Sailor Moon is from Toronto. <laughs> yeah. And Baltimore has something like that, that I've seen on a, more than a few occasions like so much of culture now is sort of like exploring things like that where it's like it's really it's kind of commonplace especially if you live in a relatively larger city that it's not even all that spectacular anymore it's like yeah. oh okay i mean it's just you, part of the lo- the locals the local yokels yep. yeah pretty much So let's round out the conversation here and end today's episode on the topic that I brought, which is Death Note. So definitely a little bit darker than some of the stuff we've been talking about, certainly darker than Sailor Moon. But it is an anime that I got into when I was over in Japan and took a real affinity for because I like the story that it's trying to tell. Death Note takes a lot of real world discussions of morality Mm -hmm. and life and death and how people would kind of react to having kind of omnipotent power over others in really different ways and then kind of the classic sort of good versus evil battle which is exactly what the fight between kira and l is in death note plus sprinkling in a lot of the sort of supernatural classic storylines that are in a lot of japanese tales adherence to the ancient world and gods and death gods and shinigami showing up and lots of control that way so i really liked what death note has done i haven't read the manga i've watched the tv show the animated tv show i've seen a few of the live action movies and i know anthony that's one of those properties that netflix definitely did dirty Mm -hmm. in 2015 and just did not know how to reimagine it as a live action series i think the live action movies the two that were done in japan were really well done but yeah that definitely that live action series did not do it any justice so I sent you guys the first episode of Death Note as well, and I thought we could just briefly talk about it, and then I want to go a little bit into the music of it, because I think it is a really interesting component of that anime, and it does tie into the next topic that we'll be talking about a little bit. So if either of you want to start off with your thoughts on Death Note, by all means. So the series, to me, it's an interesting story that I don't think I've seen in any other form before it, and definitely not after. Watching that episode over again, it reminded me of how annoyingly self-righteous the main character is. You know, so I mean, there's kind of that. But I think that it was a really good story and it was worth telling. And I think it was, for me at the time, when I was originally watching it, it was an interesting contrast to the way Shinigami were sort of discussed and portrayed. Because, you know, Bleach was kind of like a big thing right around the same time. And what a death god was, was completely different than almost sort of the... And gosh, I forgot his name already. I think you just said it. Ryuk? Uh, Ryuk. Like, his character was a lot more sort of Loki-esque. That sort of god of mischief sort of mm-hmm. vibe than it was anything like the death gods in uh bleach or anything else like that and I, it was a really interesting sort of exploration of that world now when it comes to music this may be a controversial too i think it fit but i also think it was kind of forgettable they did a decent job of sort of highlighting tense moments with the sort of boilerplate music that they chose but it felt kind of boilerplate. Like, I remember that it fit, 
but otherwise it wasn't all that memorable, even though I just watched it a couple days ago. Like, so I'm definitely interested to hear what you thought and why it like sort of stuck out as much as it did to you. That's sort of my take. Anthony, what do you think? Uh, it's a fascinating concept to me. Like I just, uh, I think I was aware of the memes before the actual show. So I was aware of Death Note as not only a meme into itself from the cartoon, but from the Netflix adaptation reference, so that I knew they did a really bad job with converting it. So to watch the episode, uh, it was a really, I'd like to be able to, I liked the way they set it up. And I was like, I really appreciated the way in which it was engaging. But to Jason's point, I will agree, the music to me was so not my thing. <laughs> and I think because I was in the middle of watching and then I did listening for the, the Final Fantasy stuff we're going to talk about, everything kind of blurred in together. And so there's really hard, like I didn't necessarily take it away to be like, oh yeah, I got to like check that out again. It was definitely of its time, like that definitely 2000, late 2000s kind of thing. And so I didn't really take away any of the music, but uh, I definitely took away an interest in checking out more of the episodes because I almost want to see a couple episodes and then I actually want to go and watch a live episode to see how bad they messed it up. <laughs> Don't torture yourself that way. Yeah, Anthony. I've Don't heard do it's it. really bad. I've heard it's really <laughs> bad. I mean, if you made it through Vampiros Lesbos, I mean, the, the oh, bars. Yeah, my, <laughs> listen, we've talked about this. One of my favorite movies is Showgirls, so my bullshit level is so effing high it's not even funny <laughs> fantastic so i think i at some point if i am able to watch a bit i would like to watch a live episode and then give you a breakdown of that too to be like Ooh, absolutely whoa <laughs> <laughs> choices yep so i completely agree with you guys in regards to the boilerplate nature of some of the music in the show so this is what i took away in regards to the soundtrack is that there are two very distinct motifs that they were going for there's this sort of religious holy choirs and organs and grandiose because of the whole sort of god nature that light's trying to take over he's trying to rule over a better world as a benevolent god with control of life and death so that i think it's highlighted for me because that is what i think ties in well with my subject matter for my masterclass episode which is the music of final fantasy and nobu uematsu and the the square Squaresoft, Square Enix uh, RPG games. In looking at the time that Final Fantasy VIII was released and when Death Note's animated series comes out, those soundtracks sound very, very similar because they are kind of those choirs and that sort of godlike theme kind of coming through. And of course, with Final Fantasy, you have magic users, you have sort of spirits and creatures from ancient times like Bahamut and Quetzalcoatl and all these sort of um, Shiva and Ifrit and, and Espers kind of controlling and being employed in battle. And of course, you kind of have that with the Shinigami and their world in Death Note. So there's, I, I like that component because it links to something that I'm going to talk probably for a couple hours on next time we record. So it kind of, it speaks to me. The thing that I think definitely becomes just kind of lost is the other music that they try to do, which is kind of like that early 2000s grungy sort of emo rock component that just seems to get kind of plugged in where you just hear kind of guitars and drums and just kind of that that classic rock tune that just becomes nothing yeah. to me like it just it it, mm -hmm. it is it's filler. Yeah, it is exactly. we it doesn't serve a purpose it's not it's the sitcom music from uh sailor moon 
Except dark and edgy. Yes, yes, exactly. exactly. And some emo, and somebody's got some eyeliner underneath, and they have really dark blue hair that's coming down across their face, and they're like, death no. They got funky color hair, so yeah. we got to give them really, really sort of <laughs> crappy music to overplay anything. Totally. And, maybe that's, and maybe that's the problem with some anime music in general, because it is such a, a created format. You don't have the ability to like pipe in room noise the way that a live action thing would, which could just kind of pick up the world around you through its microphone. Like everything's created. Yeah, you can add it a bunch of stuff, but when you start adding in, that's when it becomes more noticeable and you, you start to kind of lose touch with this is a natural world that you're just kind of experiencing the sounds around you. It's all piped in and, and they're creating exactly what you should be seeing and hearing. And, and I think the music just becomes really ridiculous and and forgettable in regards to what death note tries to do like there's just an unnecessary quality that i think the creators of cowboy bebop got right to bring this full circle because they let space occur they and not just like the literal space stars in the sky like they just allow quiet to happen and silence to occur and they utilize music to pinpoint the things that should be hitting hard with the audience in really positive, like fun ways with chase scenes and fights and all that, or really emotional ways. And Death Note just loses touch with that by just piping in filler, forgettable music throughout a lot of the different scenes. It's an enjoyable story. It's a really interesting take. Jason, like you said, I I don't know what else is kind of doing this sort of storyline of justice. And I, I really enjoy the material. And I like a component of the music because it's familiar to me. But yeah, there's a ton of it. I'd say probably 75-80% of that music. It could just go away or it could dissolve into nothingness. And I wouldn't lose it or miss it from the show itself. <laughs> I think that's pretty much the take, though. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't know if there's anything much yeah. else to say. We're so articulate. And, oh, <laughs> it's God. a good episode. <laughs> I do find anime very daunting to take on, in the same way that Doctor Who is daunting to take on, because they're so expansive. There's so much in it, and uh, I think. You know, I get a little intimidated to be able to jump into stuff. And so I want to really appreciate, I want to, you know, thank Jason for introducing and kind of bringing out this conversation so that we can kind of look beyond that and I can kind of explore some of the things that I don't necessarily gravitate towards too. So I've really enjoyed these conversations and these takeaways. And also it's kind of fun, again, the Death Note stuff to be like, oh God, I don't want to like shit on Dawn's choice, but I'm like, okay, I'm glad to hear you thought that was shit emo music too. <laughs> yeah, and if it if you didn't think it was shit music, I was really curious to find out why or like on what basis. Like I that was one my one sort of like, okay, I wonder how Don is gonna like talk about this because I was not blown away. I've gotta change my Spotify playlist. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is a great conversation. It, it, there's tons of stuff to play with in the anime world. Like like you said, Anthony, it can be really daunting. Like where do you jump in? For someone like myself, I love to get in from day one ground zero like i want to jump in to know the history and the canon of this show 
when you look at a show that has 500 plus episodes, like, oh, good, oh, man, that's going to be hard. Or something like you said, Doctor Who has decades upon decades, and it's always shifting and always changing. So there's a lot to go into it. And I think, yeah, Jason, thank you for bringing this conversation to us and bringing Cowboy Bebop to us, because I think that's a great way to consume a small amount of anime and to kind of get a, a really great perspective of what fantastic anime can do for story and for music and for these sorts of conversations so i think this was a, a spot-on sort of uh master and then a follow-up episode so thank you very much for that oh, you're welcome i'm glad you guys enjoyed it yes, <laughs> and, and, and i around, thank you for yeah. the uh the circular applause anthony that was <laughs> a amazing. round of applause <laughs> Well, that is it for us today. Again, we're going to jump into our Summer Masterclass series, part three, with our next record. And as we've kind of revealed, we've had one movie focus, one TV focus, and now we're going to jump into the video game focus with my masterclass on Final Fantasy soundtracks, specifically from Nobu Uematsu and the 90s to early 2000s Square, Squaresoft, Square Enix timeline. So we are definitely going to have some fun with that. So look forward to that conversation but in the meantime what we want you to do is continue to rate and review and subscribe to our episodes of course anything that you do in regards to our episodes here when you give us a listen when you subscribe on your podcast app of choice which is either it could be apple Podcasts, spotify google play definitely is going to support our show in broadening our audience and getting our download numbers up there and we really do appreciate everyone who's already reviewed provided us with five-star reviews and given us a listen shared our episode and helped us expand to uh, additional listeners out there. If you want to continue to have conversations with us in regards to the topics here, you can find us on our social media accounts. We're on Instagram and Twitter at EvenTheScorePod. Or if you wanted to drop us a line via email, go ahead and let us know what your thoughts are. Just uh, send us some, some good lines here to our Gmail account, which is EvenTheScorePodcast at gmail.com. And as always, I want to thank my colleagues here, Anthony and Jason, for joining me for this conversation. Thank you very much to you both. Thank you, Don. Thank you, Don. Uh, thanks, Anthony. It's It's been real. This has been a fantastic conversation. Thanks again, Jason, for bringing us your masterclass. Uh, look forward to the next one and continue to enjoy your summer. Be safe out there. And thanks for listening to the Even the Score podcast. Take care. See you, Space Cowboy. Thank you.